am Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and this morning we have a special guest for our speaker series, Patty O. And I'm going to let uh, my sponsor, Stacy, introduce her. Stacy, take it away. Thank you so much. Um, Miss Patty, um, I remember meeting Miss Patty when I first went to the Promises Club, and she was, um, she was cleaning off the tables, and I said, my heavens, they have people that's been here forever cleaning off the tables. What's wrong with them? They got people that's, <laughs> they have older people that's cleaning off the tables. What's going on? <laughs> they got this in servitude over here. <laughs> it turned out that she's been in service since I've known her. She was showing me what it's like to be in service and to stay sober. And then one time I went to a conference with her and my sponsor. And she was up way before the meeting we had, and she was reading books. And I was thinking to myself, can we get some more sleep around here? <laughs> it turns out that when she was showing me how to meditate, I'll never forget that I stand on the shoulder of giants. I asked her to speak, and she didn't hesitate. She's always been a service, and I'm so grateful to know her. So grateful that she's in my life. And with that, I give you Patty. Unmute. Good morning, everyone. I'm Patty Rednicki, and I'm an alcoholic. What a pleasure to be here. I'm all excited so early in the morning. Uh, I um, thank you, Stacy, for including me in your life all these years. You're going to make me cry first thing in the morning. Uh, I have. Uh, I just want to get a couple important things to me out. Uh, I have a sponsor, and she has a sponsor. And I sponsor people and uh, I, I have a commitment. I have a psych ward meeting that I've had for, four, well, I've had a, a psych ward meeting. It's been a different one over the years, but I've had for the last 40 years. And I have a jail institution meeting that I've had for 40 years. Um, different ones because I've I've moved, but I've been able, boy, you try and take that rag away from me from wiping tables, you're in trouble because I might be small, but I'm mighty if you take <laughs> if you take my my service commitment away from me. It makes me a part of. I've been separated from God and from you people a really long time till I got here to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I didn't know it was self-separation that I'd done it to myself. And it's called self-centered here or self um, selfish or self, you know, absorbed with myself. And uh, come to find out, I put myself in that situation. Someone said to me recently, the longer, or I think it was Sandy Beach, we were reading his book, the longer I'm sober, the nicer my family has become. They did, they, they, uh, oh, I just so resented my mom. She had standards. She wanted us to do our best in school and um, to make something of ourselves so we could be self-supporting for our own through our own contributions you know it's like what I can't live off of you and daddy the rest of my life what do you mean um 
and and she wanted us to do our best with making friends and dating people that we separate ourselves from uh people who were doing drugs and and alcohol and were doing things that just weren't in her book is the right things to do and those were the people i sought out come to find out i was one of them <laughs> i was one of them who who your parents told you don't hang out with that girl. I, I turned out to be that girl. They worked really hard. They gave me lots of advantages. They sent all of us to private schools. Uh, and I resented it. I, I just, I thought it was way too strict. Uh, I, want, I wanted, uh, even at an early age, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I had no power to do it. You know, I just kept falling over my own feet trying to get what I wanted. Um, I don't know. Let's talk about the first thing. Uh, so it's not my parents' fault that I'm an alcoholic because I'm, a, I'm the only dysfunction in our family. Uh, we laugh. My younger sister said to me, lady, lately, uh, she said, you put the fun back in dysfunctional. And I thought, yeah, so it only took me 40 years to, because uh, I was not laughing. I was not having a good time when I got here. When I got here, uh, I was the epitome of powerless. I, I was beaten up and run over. Um, 16 years old, uh, I, I'm an overachiever. <laughs> even in alcoholism I'm an overachiever I look for people I can uh, that like to drink like me um, 16 years old was the first time I purposely drank I was able to spend the night with my girlfriend uh, we stole the money we stole the booze and we ended up we called it borrowing we borrowed her mother's car I was six years sober doing a jail meeting and the girl, there was, there were several girls in the meeting that procreate, what is it called? Something of a vehicle, which meant they stole cars. And it was like, oh, gee, I did that. We called it borrowing. <laughs> and, and I never put the word stole the cars. Uh, the crazy thing is she'd crawl down her, the hallway, get the keys out of her mom's purse. And that, of course, she was hiding. And um, we found out later that her dad had lost his license. He was an alcoholic also. And he was stealing the car after mother fell asleep. So we had a time limit to get in there before dad stole the car before us. And he couldn't tell on us because he was doing the same thing. And of course, we couldn't tell on him because her mother would have killed us. So right away, it starts, you know, the lies begin, the lies begin. And a normal person, I grew up up north in Ohio, far north in Ohio. And when it snowed up there, someone said, a tornado here. It's like, yeah, we had tornadoes in Toledo all the time. And we had snowstorms that they would snow two feet at a time. Well, that, that night, it was snowing again. There was already snow on the ground and we're pushing the car out. And I remember thinking to myself, boy, we're going to leave tracks. Now, a normal person would notice we're going to leave tire trackers. Someone's going to notice her aunts lived all up and down the street. 
So we're pushing the car out of the driveway. We're going to start it down the street and we're leaving tracks. A normal person would say this isn't a good idea. But I found out a lot about myself that very first night is when I'm going to drink, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I leave tracks. It doesn't matter if I am um, have final exams the next day. It doesn't matter who I'm with when I'm going to drink. Or it doesn't matter if I'm married and he's mad or the kids don't have a babysitter or, or a job the next. When I'm going to drink. Uh, I'm going to drink. And I don't drink to have one. I, I drink for blotto. Um, and and that's that's the mood. That was that's my way of thinking from the very first time is I want it all. And uh I'm I'm we're going to boys and booze go together with me. So we we went to where the boys were and we're riding through the park and we got stuck in a snowdrift. Police stopped us, said, where are you girls going? And Marsha, who's a great liar, she does it with a perfect straight face. I just, you know, we learn from people, Tracy. <laughs> Stacy, we just learn from people. And straight face, she says, I'm taking Patty home. He says, it's midnight, you know, get her home. So, but first he said, show me your IDs. And so I showed him mine and I was, you know, like a block from home. And he said to me, are you Rudy's daughter? My dad was a city official in the town I grew up in. And they, uh, they adored my dad. The city, the town, he was a football star. He was a political figure. He's done so much good for that town. And they adored him. People would cross the street to shake his hand. He wasn't a drinker. He did this book, Alcoholics Anonymous. By nature, he never, you know, his dad, his mom died when he was nine years old. And she said to him before she died is do things for other people and love God. And he did that his whole life. Praise God, do things for other people. His father was a drunk and left the four kids with the, the mother's sisters. And she raised the kids at the end of the cul-de-sac, three ants raised those kids with all the other kids. So he grew up in a big giving family. Um, and, and he acted, he still acted on it. So we went, <laughs> the police left. I used that, Rudy's my dad, for the rest of the time I lived in that town. Uh, and the police were so grateful to him. He had done some fabulous things for the police and the fire department that they would I would draw and I drove my dad's car whenever I went off the road or into a ditch or speeding drag racing down Main Street whenever they'd see the tag of my dad's car they'd say get the kid out of here she's Rudy's daughter poor Rudy poor Rudy to have to you know we all gave him reasons to be upset. And I found in the book one time where it says, well, several nevels, nevers, but this was Rudy. He never criticized us. And all four of us gave him reason. Five of us gave him reasons to criticize. He never talked down to us. He never forced his idea on us. He never, um, 
there's a fourth one he never did. I can't remember. Oh, he never, never. It's at the end of the page. It'll come to me. But he was just that kind of guy. And people loved him. Um, we're coming up on his 30-some years uh, anniversary of his death. Um, so it makes me think here. Um, what happened was we went to where the boys are. And what happens to me when I drink, you know, I'm always raring to go. I'm always keyed up. I'm always doing so. I'm I, you know, nervous and jerky, my mom used to say. I'm always keyed up. So I never had to take speed growing up. It doesn't mean I didn't take speed, but I never had to. Because I'm I'm always that way, high key. Where where's the next party? What are we doing next? Where are we going? What are we drinking? Where do we get it? You know, all week long till it comes, till it came. And um, but when I drink, something happens. I I I just exhale. It was just comforting. It calmed me down. It didn't rev me up. It calmed me down. Uh, drinking did for me what it didn't do for my siblings. None of them. I felt sorry for him. I kind of had hope for my younger brother because he lived above a bar when he was in college and they, with five other guys, and they'd roll down from the bar and have eggs and beer for breakfast. So I kind of had hope for him. But he, he, he graduated from college, he got married, stayed married to the same girl his whole life till she passed a year ago in COVID and has had the same job his whole life. I, I don't understand people like that. I don't even like them, you know what I mean? But since I've got sober, we've been so much closer. What, what I got to do is drink all my booze, all by myself. I found out these things about myself. I'm a liar. I'm a great liar. Uh, and the book says we're liars. And in one chapter, it says it three times on just two, two pages. It says illusion, delusion, and mm, I'm having, I'm not clicked. I haven't had my second cup of coffee. I'm not clicked into it yet. <laughs> What's the third? Um, it's illusion, delusion, and self-deception, that's the third. I'm a liar. It says we are. <laughs> it's part of my DNA. So when we got there, I drank all the booze, my own. I don't share well. Found that out my whole life. I don't share well with my siblings. I don't share well with people, any people. Uh, I just don't share well. I, I share yours well if it's your booze or your stuff. I share. I'm very happy to share that with you. And, and I learned about that stuff. I hang out where the boys are. Uh, booze and boys go together because the boys had the stuff. You know what I mean? The stuff that you can't get at a private all-girls school at that time. But the boys always had the stuff. And so booze and boys go together because I did a lot of stuff, too. I put myself in situations where I could find the stuff and I didn't need them anymore. But I did a lot of tablets, I guess you would call them. Um, I like to say morphine's my drug of choice. 
but alcohol is my drug of no choice. I was able to put down the morphine. Um, well, I'm lying now. Uh, the court system helped me put down the morphine. They, they also helped me with a handwriting problem I had of writing my own prescriptions. They were very helpful to getting me straight on the drug stuff. Um, but what happened later in life when that happened, um, I just drank more. I, I just went right down the tube. Thank goodness for all the tablets that I took because it brought me to AA faster. Uh, I was 34 years old when I got here. And um, I went away to school. I, I, that 16-year-old that episode started the whole deal. And I did that for the next 18 years. Uh, I went away to school. Uh, so they could, my parents couldn't see what was going on. I started having blackouts right away. Um, I, I ended up in places I didn't want to be with people I wouldn't have normally been with in a big city. I'm from a small town up no more. Um, doing things and saying things was just not the way I was raised. Uh, it scared me to death. It just scared me to death. And I came home from school, married my childhood sweetheart. God love him. And you think I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and straighten out here. This has gotten out of hand. I didn't know I was suffering from lack of power. I didn't know I didn't have, I couldn't do it myself. And I would try over and over to just tame it back. Just move it, only drink on weekends, only drink this or only drink that, or not to drink unless I'm with people. I started drinking alone because I, and if you were to ask me, I said, I've got three kids. I, I need to drink. I'm doing a full-time job. I need to drink. If you were married to him, you know, him, uh, I started getting reckless at 25 years old. Alcoholism took me to places I didn't want to be with people I wouldn't have normally been with doing stuff. 25 years old, I got slashed in the face 12 times with a razor. And that precipitated 13 plastic surgeries to put my face back together. Um, and if you would ask me at that time, I'm not hurting anybody. My drinking and my drugging is not hurting anybody but me. And um, then you listen to the stories of how it affected my mom going through that. If you had a child that put herself in that situation, how it affected my family and my dad, how it affected my siblings. Uh, and I'm saying I'm not hurting anyone. What happened was... I remember my mom coming into the emergency room before I went into surgery. And she said to me, my face is all bandaged trying to, in my neck, trying to keep me from not bleeding to death. And she said to me, that's the worst thing in the world that could happen to a narcissistic girl like you. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Uh, I had no idea. And come to find out, it says in the 12 and 12, we, we are narcissistic. We have that's part of my DNA, and it's like, oh, it's a good thing. <laughs> now I know it. I got little bits and pieces all along. 
what happened to me was I got an unlimited supply of drugs, an unlimited supply of drugs, just an unlimited supply of drugs, five different doctors, five different pharmacies. Back in those days, they were we had no computers. We were not com- connected to any other pharmacies. And you could get away with murder. I could get away with murder. And I did. I, I spent the next eight years trying to kill myself with an unlimited supply of drugs. And you know what happens when you get that crazy. Unlimited's not enough. I started writing my own prescriptions because I needed more. Don't you need more? Because you got to hide it. I don't know if any of you hid things. I had to hide my drugs. I had to hide them in the hems of the curtains or in the valances over the windows. Or I had the toes of my shoes in the boxes on the shelf. I had to hide my drugs. And um, I started getting real sloppy because I didn't want to look for them. You know, you forget where you hide them. And I started putting them... None of you look old enough, my age. We could page through here and take a look. None of you look old enough. But in those days, in the old days, I always sound like my mother. uh, They had a thing called for women. It was called douche bags. And they were rubber bags with long rubber hoses. And you could, they were used for uh, hygiene purposes for women. And you could hang them on the hook in the shower, but you could hollow out the top and fill fill that douche bag with all kinds of vials of stuff. You know what I mean, stuff? And I just needed, I could go by it because, you know, I still had rules. 10 o'clock, you can't do this till 10 o'clock. You can't do that till noon. You can't do this. And I just needed to know I had enough tablets to get through the day. I just needed to know. I was taking one of my new girls to a meeting. It was, do you remember Andrea, Stacy, Andrea Rogers? Her daughter had gotten sober and uh, I was taking her, dragging her to meetings with me. Beautiful, you know, those beautiful girls that come in and get sober when they're really, really young. And I'm taking her to a meeting and she says in a cute little blonde hair and and cute, uplifting little voice. She says, tell me about the old timers. How did they get their nickname? You know, like Bob Rich, they called him Filthy Rich. And and about um, Junkyard John, how did he get his name? And uh, Biker Bill and Post Office Man Bill. I mean, she wanted to know how, and she says, and what's your nickname? And I said, my name was, oh, Patty O when I got here. His name began with an O. And uh, she said, oh, that's just so calm. Well, after I told the douchebag story, she, yeah, you caught on real quick, didn't you? <laughs> uh, she says, she gets in the car after the meeting and she says, oh, I know what we can call you. We can call you douchebag bag Patty. And the truth is, <laughs> the truth is, you know what I mean. Yeah, I was a douchebag in every sense of the word. What happened to me was, my mom calls it the newspaper incident. When the news, I had no idea I'm powerless uh, and that I need a solution and that the solution was going to be Alcoholics Anonymous. What happened to me was uh, 
my mom calls it the newspaper incident. When the newspaper incident blew over and he still had a job, God bless him, we, we moved to Cincinnati. And um, I didn't know I was moving to Cincinnati to get sober. I, I thought I was putting all of that stuff behind me. And we moved to Cincinnati and the neighbor lady and I were, were two people. I, and you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it all over again. I'm gonna straighten up. I'm gonna teach Bible school. I'm gonna get my deg another degree in, in theology. I'm gonna do all this stuff. And the, the neighbor lady, Co, and her sister got sober. And there's a line in the book, that's gonna make me cry. She was my sponsor for 35 years. She just passed a year ago. I think you probably know that, Stacy. She, there's a, a line in the book that describes her, per, well, there's two lines in the book that describe her perfectly. One is, um, this. they're talking in the book about this guy goes to a small town and he finds there's more alcoholics per whatever, just a bunch of them. And he said, the book says, he gave everybody in that town the opportunity to recover. And that's Co. She gave everybody she came in contact with the opportunity to recover. And I remember seeing her right after. She, we, we both took exercise class. We were getting healthy. And we both were in the back of the room. And we both smelled bad. I mean, we smelled like the alcohol from the night before. And it was only her and I in the back of the room. And she got sober and I could tell, uh, I could tell there was something different about her. You know how uh, Bill describes Ebby when he came to see him, that his eyes, there was a different thing about him and his eyes were all lit up. I could see that in Co right away. And she gave me the opportunity to go to an AA meeting with her. And I thought that's a good program for my husband because now he's the problem. If he would stop drinking, my life would be fine. And so I was going to go to AA and bring it home to him because and teach him that he needs to go to AA. <laughs> Little did I know I, I was going to be. I didn't know it was me who had lack of power. It was me who couldn't control my life anymore. It was me who was out of control. And, um, and I got the gift. Um, and had they not been two of them, good thing they were both reading the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, those two sisters. Because the sister called me that one morning and um, it was sometime at the end of August. And I had started drinking. We had to do an event for him. And I started drinking and I'd been drinking for 30 days and I couldn't stop. Now I've been able to stop, you know, like a long weekend and stop or a couple of days, you know, in the middle of the week and stop. But I, I couldn't stop. I'd been drinking right on through. I, I could not stop. And I knew I couldn't stop. And I'm promising I would stop. And he's getting mad. And I'm throwing it down the, the book calls it waste pipe. I'm throwing it down the sink. I can't stop. And the sister called me. Her name was Jeannie. And Jeannie called me and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm in my closet praying. The odds, the odds of anybody knowing I'm in my closet praying. I can't stop drinking. 
the odds of a higher power putting her right there. And she said, get up, get dressed and get to 405 Oak Street. 405 Oak Street is the clubhouse. We all got sober. <laughs> Anybody in Cincinnati, it was the first clubhouse. It's the oldest clubhouse in the world that's been consistently open. And we got to get sober there. We got the opportunity to be there and be part of history. What a gift we had. Uh, she said to get to Oak Street and they had started a noon meeting at Oak Street. It's a big book meeting. And uh, we, we got to read the big book. We, we got, and I got there and I'm detoxing. Uh, I, I, you know, I had a couple hours sober is what I had. And I'm detoxing and I'm throwing up and I'm going to the bathroom and I'm, you know, we're upstairs. It was when we were up in the green room and, and I'm just sick. I, uh, and, and they're passing the book over my head to read it. And I'm sitting there detoxing. I probably was detoxing for seven, nine days, if not more. And I'm going every day at noon to the big book meeting because that's where they told me to go. And uh, I knew there was something, ha as detox and as sick as I was, I knew there was something going on in that room that, that I needed to be there. And I kept coming back. And I can remember, um, I'm, I'm, the bathroom was right next door and you could go around the corner and I'd sit on the end and and I remember falling off my chair, missing my chair when I went to sit back down. And and what happened to me was I just sat there on the floor and cried. And some huge man, we we sat in a big circle at the time, and this huge man with feet bigger than my shoulders walked across the floor. All I saw was feet and he lifted me up and put me back in my chair and he tapped my knee and he said to me, you're gonna be okay. I bought it, hook, line and sinker that I'm gonna be okay. If I stayed in that room and I read that book that they were passing over my head and I did what these people did, I could see there was something happening there. I bought it. I was sold on the ideas. And when I got to that page in the book, I thought, that's me, that's me. I was sold on the ideas that this would work for me too. We started going to two meetings a day. One, first one at Oak Street during the day and the night one out in a meeting out at our in our neighborhood. We lived, I lived a ways away. And, and I just started, things started happening. I was probably nine, 10 days sober. And I, and I said to her, I said to Co, I said, what do I have to do? I could see she was laughing. And I said to her, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to be happy like you? Oh my God, she exploded, you know. <laughs> she ran and got the big book and she brings it and puts it in my face and says, read this book. And do what it says. And I kind of stepped back out of her face and she brought it right in big, big in my face. And she said, read this book and do what it says. As if I was deaf. I wasn't deaf. I was just stupid. You know, I just had no comprehension of what she was talking about. And, uh, and she says, you're never going to get this. Just read this book and do what we do. So I attached myself to the hip of the between the two of them. 
and we were people didn't know if all three of us were sisters or if it was just two of us or they knew there was a bunch of them around from that family and they just assumed I was another one of the sisters because I I was attached to their hip for, for a really long time really really long time what happened and still was over the 35 years 39 years co-sponsored me was what happened was I got to get sober. I got the opportunity to read this book and do what it says. The, the real journey here is finding a power greater than myself. I got to read the book and find out all I have to do is trust God. Oh, that was the big order. Trust God. I was mad at God. Why would he let that happen to me? In my mind, I did everything right. I got married, then had kids, had a house got my college degree, couple of college degrees. I kept trying other things than God to solve my alcohol problem. Uh, so I, all I had to do was trust God and clean my own house. Well, what, I always kept a clean house because if what if someone would stop in and take a look at my kids or my house or my ironing? That's not what they were talking about. They would clean the inside out, write stuff down, do an inventory. Make it clear that you're willing to turn my life over to another human. Well, at first I turned it over to Co. Thank God she was reading the book and, and she was on working with others. Uh, and she sent me right away uh, that same day down, uh, down to detox. I said, well, what do I have to do? And, and, and the next day, what do I have to do today? And she said, go, go down to Cat House. Cat House was the detox right down the street from, from Oak Street and pick up those girls. And she gave me the most important thing I'm ever going to learn from her. She said, I said to her, well, uh, I don't think that's a good idea. And she said to me, oh, honey, we don't care what you think is <laughs> a good idea. And, and I said, I heard people saying, I'm nine days sober. You know, I think I know what I'm talking about. I barely can speak. And she's and I said to her, well, I, I don't feel like it. And she says, oh, honey, we don't care what you feel like. Just do it anyways. And I said, I don't want to. And she said, this isn't a program about wanting. This is a program of action. It's a program about doing. Go down there and pick that up and, and pick them, them girls up, those girls up. And I, as I've never talked back to coach to her face ever. To her face. I've said things when I've hung up the phone that it was like, oh my God, she's crazy nuts. I can't do that. Because you don't talk back to, you know, Stacy, you don't call back, talk back to go <laughs> ever. Uh, and as I'm walking away, I said, well, I'm not going to talk to him. And she said to me, oh, honey, we don't want you to talk to him. Just bring him up here. We'll talk to him. Well, you know, you tell me not to do something, I'm going to do it a hundred times. You tell me to do something, I'm going to say I don't feel like it, or at least I'm going to think that. So I started talking to those girls at nine days sober. Powerful lesson that if I want permanent sobriety, I better get my tush down to detox and start picking them up, start bringing the new girls in. Because it, it constant work, consistently thinking of what I can do for others. In the first nine days, she gave me everything I needed for the rest of my life, and my life exploded. 
exploded. I went from, uh, I got divorced about three years sober. We went from um, a happy marriage to um, my, his drinking partner was gone. He could see I'm gonna stay sober and he wanted to drink. So he wanted to drink. He, he tried to stay sober for a year and couldn't. And he wanted to drink. So he asked for a divorce. Uh, I went from crazy. I mean, I went from 18 years of stocks, bonds, houses, cars, money. And I wanted it all. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't want to split it. I wanted it all. And crazy. I mean, when I'm afraid, I fight. And I went from insane to my sponsor saying, it's either going to be a choice of Alcoholics Anonymous or stuff. What's your choice? You know, and I said, those choice, Alcoholics Anonymous or stuff. And I was able to, God put me in a, added, changed my attitude. That's, that's what a spiritual experience is from the first time getting up, getting dressed and going to Oak Street to consistently over the last 40 years, September 13th, 1982 is my sobriety date for the last over 40 years has been God has changed my attitude. There's so many definitions for um, a spiritual experience. And it says that I need a, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And that happened to me. I've had continual personality changes. I've had um, uh, sudden upheavals. I've had... Um, overwhelming and immediately God consciousness in situations that I've never expected to. Uh, I, I Fighting over all of that stuff and being able to walk away, I got to walk away with something I never really expected. I got to walk away with responsibility for myself. That was a big lesson. I, I, I went right from daddy to husband and uh, expected him to take care of me. Well, I had to have responsibility for myself. So all the things I hadn't lost yet, I lost at three years sober. And God stood by me and walked through the rain and walked through the crying and walked through the getting a job. And, and every good thing that's ever happened to me has happened to me because of Alcoholics Anonymous. I got to... I got to work and I can remember when I went to my sponsor, her sponsor said, ask Patty to, to do this job. And, and I went to her and I, and, and I said, I, I told her about it. And she says, yeah, I know. Uh, and I said, well, do I take the job? And she says, I told her it's not enough money. And she said to me, it was five bucks an hour. That's how long ago it was. And she said, is that how much you make in sitting on the sofa at home every day? And I thought that witch, she is just, she is, you don't, you just don't understand, Co. <laughs> I always explained it two or three times till I thought she would have plenty of time to get it. But I took the job and I can see how God set me up to do that job, to do the next job that I was going to do, to do the next job. I was five years sober when I did that job and learned some skills I would have never, ever expected. And at 10 years sober, I got to 
at five years sober, another two guys and I set up 300, there were no institution meetings in, in Cincinnati at the time, in jails or treatment centers, because then treatment centers started coming up at that time. So two other guys and I set up 300 institution meetings in the greater Cincinnati area. We just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. At 10 years sober, because of somebody else's resentment, we started a group that ended up taking Alcoholics Anonymous, the three of us, to the largest women's prison in Kharkov, Russia. There was no AA in Russia at the time. And because that we had done so much, I'm so thinking about it. We had done so much work, prison work and jail work. I, I belonged in the jail, really. I should have still been could still be there right now <laughs> or the psych ward because the first five years I was sober I I needed to be in a psych ward and and I only had to go there once a month I mean once a week on Thursdays and take an AA meeting uh, that was my treatment and what happened was uh, we got to go to Harkov Russia and I turned them down four times I turned I said no I can't do that I don't have any money. And someone said, we'll pay for everything. A group said, we'll pay for everything. And then I said, I have no time off. And, and then I went, they said, go to your boss. And I asked my boss and he gave me unbelievable time off to go to do this 12 step call. And then they gave me, I, I said, um, I, I won't be able to pay my rent when I get home because I'll be gone a month. I won't, I won't have rent money. And, um, one of my, you know how God shots do. One of my new girls had a new girl who had a boyfriend who was getting divorced, who needed a place to stay. And he lived in my place. Now I've never had a good relationship with a man. I'm already divorced. I, I, I have just never had been able to live with a man because I want my way. And here he was gonna stay a month. Oh, he wanted to stay two months. And he ended up spending a year and I ended up having a male friend, just a friend. I was able to live with another, another human being. I was able to live with another human being. And um, what happened, the fourth thing is I had no, I had a new girl living on my sofa because that's where they would end up. And uh, she just came out of the psych ward, <laughs> God love her. And she was living on my sofa and um, I didn't have, I said, no, I couldn't go. I don't have a passport. And um, <laughs> she had a sister-in-law who worked at the passport that okayed passports. She filled out my information. She got the paperwork. I signed it. She filled it out and I had a passport and let, she walked it through that I had a passport in a week. I mean, it was back in those days, it took six months, nine months to get a passport. So I, I was off to do a 12-step call and come to find out the 12-step call was on me. I found God and an understanding of God that I'd never had before. I'm 10 years sober. And I found an understanding of a higher power that has just grown in leaps and bonds that I've never had before. So many great things have happened to me. 
I have a relationship to, I'm current with everybody. I'm current with everybody. Miracles happened with my kids. Miracles happened with, uh, I was just telling Stacy how I even ended up here. Uh, miracles happened all the way. I didn't save enough time to tell you about them, but my life has been magnificent. Uh, there isn't anything I would change. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Stacy. My time's up. Oh, that was Miss Patty O from San Marco, Jacksonville Beach, Florida. We thank you for being our guest speaker on our podcast speaker series edition of Two Sober Chicks. We hope you join us again. Have a great 24.